A couple weeks ago, for my birthday, I had the opportunity to go to the Bay Area. During my time there, I was reading a blog by, by one pastor that I like that actually pastors in the Bay Area and discovered some things while reading that blog. I'll quote him. He says, a few years ago, for the first time since the Bureau of Labor Statistics started keeping records, the majority of American adults were single, 50%. If you're wondering where in America, some of you don't want to listen up to this, if you're wondering where in America is the best place to find a working single man between the ages of 25 and 34, just keep looking at me, it's the Bay. With San Jose being the top-ranked city in America for available single-working men. In fact, San Jose has come to be called Man Jose. <laughs> People come up with stuff. I don't know why. Uh, for these very reasons. By the way, several other Bay Area cities rank in the top ten as well. For every hundred working female single, Man Jose has 114. I need to state this here, that there is nothing wrong with being single, by the way. Being single doesn't make you incomplete, and marriage doesn't make you complete. Amen. Praise the Lord, somebody. But none of the ways we distinguish, one of the ways in which we distinguish singles from married people is by this symbol called a ring. In every age and culture, people have developed ways of saying sayings through symbolic objects and symbolic gestures. Could you imagine a world without gestures and symbols and with no handshakes or hugs or, or kisses or, or wedding rings or special songs or, or flags or dances or salutes or flowers or gifts on Juneteenth? I just threw that in there. Symbols, both symbolic objects and symbolic gestures, open a level of reality for which non-symbolic speaking is inadequate. Now, a ring is supposed to serve as a symbol of your relationship status, married. It is to communicate many things, but for one, it is to communicate, I am taken. Some of y'all just keep looking at me. And when others see that ring, they are to pass over you. It literally means they are to skip to the next one. Of course, we know there are plenty of people who can care less about a ring. Y'all know the saying, what's your man got to do with me? And those with rings who also could care less about a ring, lest we think married people, uh, unless we think that single people are the only possible threat to a marriage. Bottom line is, people shoot their shot regardless. But did you know in the Old Testament, God had one night use his own symbolic object to indicate who belongs to him and who he had set his love upon. A symbol that would indicate I am in a spiritual relationship with God. <clears throat> and that symbol was to be the indication to death to pass over you or to 
skip you. Because, watch it now, why is death going to pass over you because you have this symbolic symbol? Because it means death, they belong to me. Well, today we learn and chosen Moses <coughs> that the symbolic object is a Passover lamb. I want to preach from this thought. Our Passover lamb. But first, previously on Chosen Moses. I'll recap. God appoints Moses. If you've been journeying with us, we are now 12 chapters into the book of Exodus. We are in season 7. And God appoints Moses to lead his people out of the bondage in Egypt by God's power to God's glory. Thus the Lord works great acts of judgment, plague, so that they would know that he is the Lord. Let me say that one more time. Maybe you missed that. The Lord works great acts of judgment. Here's the purpose behind him working these great acts of judgment is so that they will know that he is the Lord. Demonstrating that he alone is God. And there is no one holy and awesome like him. After the ninth plague of darkness, Pharaoh tells Moses he never wants to see his face again. Now, before Moses leaves his presence, one more thing Moses said before I go, and this is a big one. And this brings us to season seven, episode one. Pharaoh hard is hard. Pharaoh hard, hard will crack. The Lord said to Moses, yet one plague more, and I will bring <coughs> upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. Watch it now. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. The setting is Egypt. The mood is chaos. Egypt has just been devastated by a series of nine plagues. I want you to imagine 9-11 in the pandemic all wrapped up into one. Can you imagine the confusion and the panic in Egypt in this moment, in this time, and at this hour? And this isn't just a string of tough luck. God is judging Egypt. More than that, God is keeping a promise. Do you remember back in season two, when I reminded you that God has sworn to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that their children would have the land of Canaan for an inheritance, yet they've been stuck in Egypt for centuries, and you know what begins to happen when God promises you something, and it doesn't happen right away, and you got to wait a very long time that your faith can begin to waver sometimes. But I came here this morning to remind you that when God promises something, Baby, you can bank on it that God is going to come through and time will not stop what God has planned. They've been stuck in Egypt. I can feel their pain. I can feel their frustration. And you can sense it too if you put your ear close enough to the text. But something, church, is about to happen. Something is about to change. Oh, yes, it's time for God to get them out and to bring them home. 
But first, he must break the king of Egypt. And the first nine plagues, each plague deliberately, if you remember, grows in intensity, building in anticipation to the climax of the tenth, the one that would fracture the shell of Pharaoh heart and heart. This is the one, this plague, that will break his rebellious resolve. Pharaoh will finally consent to let them leave. No more qualifications. No more conditions. He would usher them out completely. Not some of them. Not a few of them. No. He's going to let them all Go. When God saves, he doesn't just halfway save. He doesn't just, I'm trying not to get excited. He doesn't just, he doesn't just partially save. I wish I had a church this morning. He doesn't just partially save. He doesn't just say that you might get saved. But when God sets to save, God saves completely a hundred percent. Oh, come here, Paul. Y'all might not remember, but I hear Philippians ringing in my ear now. He who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion and maybe your concern on if God is going to continue the change that he started in you. Let me tell you something. God ain't never vacated a construction site that he started, baby. God's going to get you to the finish line. Ah, that's where your hope is. All my life he has been faithful. All my life he has been good. Come here, people of Israel. Uh, when they go, not even the dogs will growl at them. The people of Israel will go from being despised and hated by the Egyptians. Now, remember now, they were oppressed. They were, they were not highly thought of. They were not climbing the social ladder. They they were slaves. Uh, the Egyptians looked down on them. But things are changing. They're going to go from being disrespected to being favored. They're going to go from being disrespected to being feared, to being revered. It hits differently when God puts a ring on it, doesn't it? Over and over and over again, we've seen in the plagues God display his sovereignty. We've seen in the plagues God do a sort of God flex on them. I'm able to set my people free. It's sovereignty. One more plague. I will bring my people out. What's the result? He will let you go. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out. He's not going to drive out some of you, most of you. He's going to drive out every one of you. So God indicates to us a section of particulars just how sovereign he is. He can tell you exactly how he's going to make it happen and what's going to happen. Do not miss those. The king will have a change of heart from when I will, from he will go from I will not let your people go to get out. What will cause such a change in heart, a change in disposition with Pharaoh and the Egyptians? The most intense of the plagues, yes. C.S. Lewis wrote this. 
Pain is God's megaphone to arouse a deaf world. Indeed, this one will grab their attention. See, God was going to get his people out. He promised he would, but how and when was a question, but that's God's responsibility. But Israel is about to sing a new song, a song that I think goes a little bit like this. Well, we're moving on up to the east side, to deluxe apartments in the sky. Y'all act like y'all don't know nothing because y'all in church. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And in the final plague, we discover something different in regards to Israel. And this is what gets me. This is where you got to pause. This is where you got to really zoom in because God wants to teach us something because everything has been directed towards Egypt in regards to God's judgment and his plagues. But this 10th plague complicates things. It, it makes you ask some questions, this final one. And I really need you to see this. Of the previous plagues, Israel has been exempt. Their cattle didn't die. Their crops weren't held on. Even their land didn't go dark. They haven't done anything to avoid other plagues. God has simply aimed away from them. But in this final plague, if you want to live, you better put a ring on. The final plague will be different. God will be aiming at everyone this time. Apart from some unforeseen provision, God is going to strike down all the firstborn in Egypt, including the firstborn in Israel. Why is this, God? Why are you aiming at everybody? I thought that these were your people, the ones that you promised that you would do good to, the ones that you promised that you would prosper. God, what is going on in this story? Because it seems to be a change in direction. And this is what season seven, episode two is for. The Israelites are sinners too. Even though Israel is God's chosen people, and even though they've been oppressed for centuries, the truth is, is that they're sinners too. God can't simply ignore their sin, lest we think being poor and marginalized gives us a pass. God makes it clear in this last plague that he doesn't say because of our ethnicity, our geographical location, our economic status, where we work, how we look, our network, God doesn't care about any of those things. As we continue to progress through Exodus, you're going to see just how sinful these people are too. Israel got some issues too. And we must be careful that we don't get so focused on those who sin against us that we never consider our own sinfulness. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Death is the natural consequence for all humanity for our sinful rebellion. Friends, there are no innocent people. There are no innocent people in our world. 
You know, Romans says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's everybody. Yeah, that's, that's, that's you. That's, that's me. We, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And some of y'all said, Pastor, you ain't got to go no further. I know what I did this morning. You ain't got to, you ain't got to convince me. I know what I did. In fact, I know what I did last night. The fact that God spares any of us, even when we have all rejected and rebelled against him, should be what we are in awe of. All my life you have been faithful. God is holy and just, but he is also merciful and gracious to provide a means of deliverance. And this takes us to season seven, episode three, a new calendar. And we all have our favorite days on the calendar. Some of us is birthdays. Some of us is Juneteenth. Some of us it's Christmas. We all got our days that we like to turn up and enjoy. We have our favorite months. We we have them. We have all kinds of reasons that we have favorite days. I love December because of Christmas. But what if God was to pick your favorite month and said, this month will be your January. This month will be the month that all other months follows because this is what he did to Israel. But why did he do it? He rearranges their calendar. Now watch it now. The Lord said to Moses in Aaron, in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of the months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. And we just celebrated Good Friday and Easter. And never wonder why we do it around March or April. This will help. What God established at the beginning of this chapter is major. It's the Passover. If you look at the opening of the verse you will see this indication of the importance of this festival. It is instituted by God, the Passover. And even the calendar is to reflect it. The rest of Israel law is given at Sinai, but this memorial, this is a memorial of redemption, we are told. Look at verse 1. It was to establish in the land of Egypt. Now, Beth Garrett, we have been through six seasons and witness all it has taken to get to this point. And now God, after dealing with the king, now prepares his people to worship him in freedom. God wants Israel to remember not so much his judgment towards Egypt, but his grace towards them. God wants Israel to remember Mike, not so much his judgment towards Egypt, but his grace towards them. He wants them to remember this night. He wants them to remember this redemptive event. I don't want you, Israel, to forget what I'm about to do tonight. I want your children to know what I am about to do tonight. I want them to remember my grace and my mercy. Can I pause and say that it's good for you to reflect on the day that God delivered you? Can I say that? That it is good for us 
both as a church and individually, to remember the day that God delivered you, set you free, found you in your dumpster, a mess, cleaned you up, turned you around. Friends, it is good. You ought to just stop sometimes. I don't know if you ever pulled the car over and said, God, thank you, Lord, for the day that you delivered me. I don't know about you, but I used to be a hot mess. I'm so glad God came and got me. Oh, I'm so glad that he came and found me. And every now and again, you got to pause and remember when God delivered you. It's good for us to remember the day that we escaped judgment. It's one of the reasons we celebrate Easter and Good Friday. Not because it's, it's a cool day to dress up but because it reminds us of our redemption in Jesus. God is weaving right here in this text into the fabric of Israel calendar, their times, their schedules, their routines, a remembrance of his grace. In a remembrance of what he's going to do in this great redemptive work of Exodus. Watch him. Watch your God now. This is important, church that God is weaving into their schedules, into their calendars, into their time. He's weaving in there his grace. This event is so significant that it reoriented their calendars. This is not small. The Hebrew calendar starts with the month of Aviv, the month of Passover. Redemption changes everything. Grace changes everything. All of us who have put our faith in Jesus had a second birthday when we trust in Christ. We had a new year. As the saying goes, be born twice, die once. Be born once, die twice. Your spiritual birth is your new year. But what were the Israelites to do on Passover? That's going to take some time and kind of put your thinking caps on here. Let's keep reading. Season 7, episode 4, God's instructions for the Passover. Israel is getting ready now, as you know, to exit, exit Egypt. They're getting ready to take flight. They're on the plane. They're ready to take off. But what happens before any plane leaves the ground? They give instructions. The flight attendants go through the safety instructions that most of us don't listen to. Yeah, yeah, been through here. We know, we know the mask come down. Yeah, whatever. Don't do that here, though. Well, God needs to go through some safety instructions before Israel can leave. We see in verses 3 through 11 the particular instructions which God gives for the Passover. God gave Israel a long list of rules and regulations which were necessary for the children of Israel to obey. Why? Well, it's not just anyone coming to visit them, but God. I need to give y'all these instructions because I, God, I'm coming. And God is holy and he's pure. I hope you never forget it. 
And it's going to be hard for them to understand God's grace without understanding two things. How clean he is and how unclean they are. How clean he is and how unclean they are. And so as God dwells in the midst of Israel, as they go through the wilderness, they have to keep certain regulations because God is in their midst. But watch the rules given for the Passover. We don't have time to break everything down, but I do want to point them out to you. One of the rules, uh, uh, some of the instructions that God gave, a man from every household was to take a year-old lamb, a lamb for their own household, a lamb from among them, if you will, It needed to be theirs, representing their family. If they didn't own one or couldn't afford one, they would go in on one with their nearest neighbors. So if you couldn't afford it, you find other neighbors, you guys would pitch in. We see community here, right? The lamb needed to be, watch this, without blemish. That means... That the lamb had to be, had to be perfect. No, it had to be whole. No, it had to be pure. It had to be spotless. No blemish, no diseases, no physical defects. This is important as we progress through this sermon because it points to Jesus. Watch what God is doing in the Old Testament. He always, he's always pointing and painting a picture of Jesus. Verse 11, watch the details. It is the Lord's Passover, a passing over refers here to the Passover lamb. Literally, it is a Passover lamb sacrifice for Yahweh, provided for Yahweh by Yahweh. Okay, I need you to catch that. It's for Yahweh, and it's provided by Yahweh. That's going to be important as well. There's a demand, there's a demand to abate his wrath. But God provides the means to satisfy that wrath. They would take this lamb, set it aside on the 10th day of the month. And in the days between 10 and 14, the lamb was with the family to be examined. They were to watch it, guard it, scrutinize it to make sure it was without defect. Remember that as well. Verse 46, you shall not break any of the bones of the lamb. Remember that. Then on the 14th day around dusk, the people of Israel will kill these lambs. Remember that. Substitutionary atonement took their place. A lamb among them would give his life for theirs. They must never forget that their life came from the death of another. Remember that. A life for a life. Especially the death of the Passover lamb was sparing the firstborn who were concentrated, set apart to the Lord. Here's where we see the ring, the symbolic object that says who belongs to God and who doesn't. This is where we see it as we continue to progress through this text. Specifically, they are to then take the blood of the lamb that they killed as a sign of protection and redemption. If you know your Bibles, Hebrew 9, 22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. In Exodus 6, God promises, I will redeem you, my people. God was redeeming his people, purchasing their freedom, and the price was blood. 
Why blood? Why not magic? Why not works? Why not church attendance? Why not good deeds? His blood was the sign of life. According to Leviticus 17:11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. And then they were to take that blood and place on the horizontal beam, the vertical beam on the doorpost. It had to be applied. Verse 22 says they would use hyssop, a common herb plant. The branches of this plant were to be used as a brush to apply the blood. There was a measure of faith here, right? They were trusting God to protect them through the provision of applied blood as he commanded. A sign of faith in God through the blood. They had to trust the blood and not themselves. I'm already preaching better than y'all talking to me. The Passover meal, then they had a meal as well. The three main elements, roasted lamb, bitter herbs, unleavened bread. Why roasting? It eliminates the blood entirely. Blood was forbidden for consumption. Why bitter herbs? Take a bite of horseradish. Tears will quickly stream down your face. The speculation is that bitter herbs reminded the people of their experience in Egypt, the suffering and slavery, the bitterness of bondage. Why unleavened bread? Strong language against even having leaven in the house during the 14th to 21st day, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Why no leaven, no yeast? Throughout Scripture, we see leaven slash yeast symbolizes sin and corruption. And in Matthew 16, Jesus said to avoid the yeast of the Pharisees, that is, False self-righteous teaching. So perhaps use was the representative of self-reliance effort. Certainly at least anything in one's life that is displeasing to God that would break uh, a relationship with the Lord. And then God told them, don't just eat some of that gyro, eat all of it. Eat it in haste, not in a nightgown or pajamas, but be ready to depart on a journey in your travel clothes. Be packed and be ready because you're getting out of Israel. As we read Exodus 12 through 13, God says, I will pass through Egypt. I will execute judgment. I will strike down the firstborn. But if I see blood of the lamb, I will pass over you. God says, I'm going to sweep through Egypt, I'm going to sweep through Israel, and I'm going to strike down the firstborn. But if I see the blood of the lamb over your doorposts, I'll pass over you. No blood, I destroy. Blood, I spare. God spares Israel, watch this. Not because they are better than Egypt, but because a spotless lamb dies in their place and his blood covers their dog. They're not better than Egypt. No, what's better is the blood. Read Exodus 12, 21 through 8. Moses gives the leader of Israel after God gives him the instructions. He gives it to the leaders. Verse 23, when the Lord sees the blood, he will pass over you and your household. The blood purified the doorway in preparation for the Lord's presence. 
Psalm 78, verse 49, describes, it, describes this scene as a company of destroying angels. The Lord would indeed pass over the door, but he also protects the entrance from the destroyer. The house is off limits and under my protection because of the blood. And season seven ends with Israel getting ready to leave their oppressor. What a beautiful day. They're getting ready to leave the kingdom of darkness and march under a new kingdom. A king that is much different than Pharaoh, by the way. A God that does not tolerate injustice. A God that doesn't oppress people. As they prepare to go, they must be washed in the blood in order to be pure before the new king. The question is, will Israel get out safe and sound? Will the blood be enough to have death skip over them? We'll find out next time on Chosen Moses. But what does this sermon have to do with today? What does this sermon have to do with Monday morning? What can we post on social media? Number one, salvation comes by substitution. Salvation comes by substitution. Salvation, church, does not come by works. That's what Good Friday is all about. See, the Passover lamb in Exodus couldn't really save the people of Israel. It was a shadow. It was pointing to something else, a greater lamb. But who would provide that lamb? We all need a perfect lamb because we all fall short of the glory of God and none of us are without spot or blemish. Amen, somebody. Just as even Israel stood exposed to God's wrath in that 10 plague for their idolatry, so we all stand exposed to God's righteous wrath for our idolatry. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But here's the good news. God will provide our land. Remember in the book of John when he first saw that Passover lamb? Remember when John the Baptist first laid eyes on that lamb that would die for us? What did he say? Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of of the world. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Somebody, can you imagine what they felt? John's been waiting. Israel's been waiting for years and centuries. They've been waiting on the lamb and he finally shows up in the flesh. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you ought to celebrate and I ought to celebrate that God sent the Lamb that was able to take away our sin. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now watch it now. Is that the Lamb? that takes away the sins of the world? Does he fit the profile? Does he fit the, uh, uh, does he fit the description? Does, is he adequate enough to take away our sin? Is he without blemish? 
Now watch it. Watch the correlation between Jesus and the Passover lamb in the Old Testament. Watch it now. A lamb from among us. They were to select the lamb and let it dwell among them. Y'all remember John chapter 1, verse 14? The word became flesh, and what did he do? He dwelt among us. Okay, okay, God, we see you. You bet. We see what you're doing. It's lining up already. You need a lamb from among you? I'm going to come from heaven, and I'm going to put the lamb to dwell among you. I'm going to give him to you. Here he comes. God from heaven puts on flesh, and he comes down here where we are. Where we are. Like he left heaven to come down here with y'all. Y'all. I mean, and anybody else live in this world besides me uh, uh, to come down here with us and leave heaven? <laughs> I don't know about you, but that don't sound like a good thing to do. He comes, all right? He must dwell among you. Now, hold on. But it's not just good for you to have a lamb. He got to be without. He got to be without blemish. Spotless, unblemished lamb. Jesus was perfect, sinless. And this is what Peter says. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Peter said, I've been around him. Three years, couldn't find nothing wrong with him. Nothing. He's good. You ever hung around anybody that you could say that about? Even the best person you like, you know, got some junk and some mess. All right, Jesus. So far, you're looking good. You're looking like you can be. The Passover lamb. Now watch this. Watch how God continues to weave and to paint. And watch the correlation between the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is why I love the Bible. Like this is why I absolutely love it. You watch things that's happening thousands of years and God is making connections. Only God can do that. Now y'all remember that that lamb was supposed to be chosen and set aside on the 10th day of the month. Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, 10th day. They killed him on the 14th day. Jesus began his road to Calvary exactly four days after Palm Sunday as he took Passover meal with his disciples, then immediately went to the cross where he was betrayed, arrested, tried, beaten, and carried his cross to crucifixion. Now watch this, because the family during those days, they were supposed to do what? Examine the lamb. They were supposed to make sure that the lamb was unblemished. Well, those days they used to examine the lamb to make sure it was unblemished. Jesus stood in trial as they could not find fault with him. Even making up false accusations and testimonies that didn't stick and couldn't be and couldn't stick. Was it a coincidence that Jesus was crucified during Passover? I don't think so. I think God has something to say. But it gets even better. Because you know that they were not supposed to break the bones of the lamb. John 19.36 says, not one of his bones were broken. Which is significant because Roman soldiers would often break the legs of those crucified. What are the chances? Blood of the lamb means protection. 
and deliverance and redemption. God's just wrath that we deserve passes over us because the lamb took it all. Jesus is it. He is our past over land. He is the ring you ought to put on your finger. But what good is a ring if you don't wear it? Right? If you don't wear it, people are not going to pass over you. And sometimes if you do wear it, they still ain't going to pass over. But it takes faith. The people of Israel was to apply the blood on their door, on their doorway. The blood of Jesus must be applied by faith to the doorposts of your heart. In order for us to be saved from the bondage of sin and death, we must put our trust in Jesus. We must put our trust in Jesus. And when we put our trust in Jesus, friends, death passes over us. And we pass from death to life. Yeah, we do. We go from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life. When we put our trust in Jesus, God has the ability to deliver us from the sins that oppress us. A lot of people come to my office, pastor, been struggling with this for years. Can't get over this, can't shake it, can't get out of it. I'm here to tell you that God has the ability to deliver you. God is stronger. I'm not telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I know. There was things in my life that I thought that I could not get over, things that I thought that would have a hold on me, but I came to tell you that God is stronger, bigger, and better than anything that you face. No, that's personal sin. What about this world, Pastor? What about these oppressive institutions? What about these things that oppress and marginalize people? What about those things, friends? Jesus just didn't come to die for individual sin, but Jesus came to redeem the world. And the day is coming when governments and systems and evil people will be brought low and the kingdom of God will be brought high. And you say, I want to be a part of that kingdom. You better have some blood on your doorpost. If you're going to walk those streets of gold. Anybody want to get married today? Some of y'all are like, eh? well, pastor, what you mean, Mary? You talking to God? <laughs> Surely marriage is looked at as bondage and subtraction from freedom. Worship team is coming back at this time. But marriage to God is the start of freedom. It's the addition of freedom. Friends, God is coming again. And judgment will skip over you. 
if you put your trust in Jesus.